재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 According to the latest research conducted by IHS James, the global arms trade marked the biggest year on sales increase in 2015 en route to a 10-year high in total sales. This is fueled by growing tensions and armed conflicts in various parts of the globe. And to learn more about this, we're very pleased to have joining us from the University of York, economics emeritus professor Keith Hartley. Hello. Hello there. Thank you for joining us, Professor. Uh, first, how much has international arms trade, the volume of which um, grown in recent years, and in which regions are we seeing the biggest growth? Yep, it's grown substantially um, in real terms. Let me say at the start, it's not easy to get accurate data on arms transfers and arms exports. Quite often, um, nations are reluctant to reveal the value of their arms sales. Firms regard it as commercially confidential. And, of course, it's difficult to compare like with like. Sometimes an arms deal might be for the sale of an aircraft. In other cases, it might be, be include the valuation of a complete support package um, over a number of years following the acquisition um, of that equipment. So, as I said, there, there are data problems. The, the best source of data, I think, um, on, on arms transfers is from CIPRI, the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. They have a very good arms transfer database, which is, when I'm talking about this, I'll use that database. So, I mean, in terms of who are the major importers of arms, Using the CIPRI data, um, over the period, the last five, five years or so, 2010 to 2015, top of the list is India, then Saudi Arabia, then China. China is third. Um, United Arab Emirates, Pakistan, Australia, and then a number of other countries. South Korea is around um, ninth, mm. and Singapore tenth amongst the top ten. And the trade has increased... Um, by about 10% over the past, um, in real terms, over the past uh, five years. So there's been a substantial growth compared with, for example, the trends of military spending and, and sales in European industries, which have been downwards. Hmm. Is there um, certainly certain external factors we can point to? Is it too simplistic to say, well, uh, we have ISIS in the Middle East, we have the, uh, the, the uh, civil war in Yemen, and that would be attributed to at least uh, what you pointed out, at least in the uh, Middle East? Yeah, no, it's not. That's, that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, the arms trade uh, and the growth of arms reflects very broadly um, increasing threats and instability and uncertainty in the world. Um, and faced with that sort of uncertainty about the, the type of threat. Um, I mean, the problem is <laughs> with, with arms, um, you don't know uh, the, the likely future threat. And you can't, armed forces are not, not like a tap. You can't turn them on and off. Um, if you feel there's a threat that might emerge in the next 5, 10, 15, or in some cases it might be 30 or 40 years ahead, um, you need to get your armed forces uh, equipped with modern equipment and properly trained so they can respond when they're required. And the, the problem is we don't know when they're required, we don't know the sort of threat they're going to face, and we don't know where that threat might come from. Uh, it ranges from what might be regarded as, uh, in one sense, as low-scale but very worrying threats from um, an individual terrorist um, who, who might actually be a threat in terms of um, blowing themselves up and, and taking lots of people with them compared with the other threat at the other end of the spectrum would be nuclear weapons and the threats of, of nuclear warfare. 
Um, so I think the growth of the arms trade will reflect um, the increasing uncertainties, instabilities, and, and threats and worries about threats within the world. How much of a, uh, I wouldn't say maybe moral dilemma, but uh, how much of a difficult balancing act is it for major arms exporters um, like the United States, where it certainly is good business to uh, to see your sales increase, but at the same time you are kind of concerned as to the long-term effects of putting all those uh, weapons uh, in that type of region, especially maybe to countries that don't have um, great human rights records. That's right, yeah. I mean... There is a trade-off, there's a great conflict between putting it broadly economics on, on, on the one hand and ethics and morality on the other. Um, but if push comes to shove, quite often with most nations, economics wins out, um, sadly. Um, I, wish it, I wish the world were a more safer place where we didn't have to have so many weapons, um, where people weren't prepared to kill themselves and kill others. Um, but the facts are that uh, it, it is an uncertain place. Not all nations have their own defense industries. And under the United Nations Charter and Treaties, they have a right to defend themselves. So it's, it's right and proper that they feel that they have, some nations have to import arms to protect themselves. And therefore, nations like the USA, um, Germany, France, UK, uh, feel that they can actually have a right to export arms to provide these countries with their legitimate concerns for um, protection and defense. Does it, at least if you look at it somewhat as a silver lining, is it possible, though, for Europe at least, it is one of the few bright spots as to their defense minutes, uh, industries um, being a little bit revitalized and in turn having a trickle-down effect as to the overall Eurozone economy? Mm, a little. Um, main, uh, the reason I'm cautious in replying to that is that the European defense industry generally have uh, been experiencing substantial reductions in real defence spending. Mm. Um, the UK has had a number of major defence reviews, and we've reduced the size of our armed forces, and that reduced the demand for um, defence equipment. And in these circumstances, exports become even more attractive as a means of providing business to uh, European manufacturers who find their home markets are declining. Um, so you get companies like um, Saab with a Gripen air fighter aircraft, um, Eurofighter with a Typhoon aircraft, uh, and Dassault with a Rafale, who clearly are seeking to export the, these sorts of equipment. Um, and these are the equipments which typically are exported, um, aerospace equipment, aircraft, right. helicopters, missiles, um, high-technology sort of kit, which nations find it difficult um, to actually create themselves. It takes a long time yeah. for a nation to build up um, an advanced aerospace industry. Many have tried, and some are still trying and, and haven't succeeded. As you've been looking at these trends, uh, I imagine you expect then the increase in sales to continue? Uh, sadly, yes. I, I wish I could say no. Um, we're moving to a, towards a safer more peaceful world where in actual fact we could resolve our disputes more peacefully rather than using arms um, but I don't think we're moving to that sort of state of the world, no I think the world's becoming extremely uncertain um, the Middle East is clearly a classic case with a lot of uncertainty there um, and you know we've mentioned 
Saudi as being a major importer, mm. Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and, and the threats uh, and instability in the Middle East. But, of course, the other threat within the Middle East, of course, is Israel and Palestine, um, which is a continuing source of, of uncertainty right. there um, to all, all, both those nations. Um, and elsewhere in the world, um, in your part of the world, there's clearly an emerging threat from China. Right. Uh, and understandably, therefore, nations like your own and Japan um, will, will take measures to protect themselves, will, will want to have modern equipment in, in the likelihood, hopefully it won't happen, but in the likelihood right. that you might actually have a, 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 a conflict. Um, on that one, the, what I would say is that arms races do not always lead to wars. Right. The classic example of an arms race which did not lead to a conflict, thankfully, was a Cold War one between um, the former Soviet Union and the um, United States, Well, uh, where effectively we had what was called sure. mutually assured destruction, um, and there wasn't, a, there wasn't a nuclear war. Unfortunately, we are going to have to leave it there, but Professor Hartley, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Okay, and thanks. Nice talking to you. I have quite a few uh, of our graduate students who are actually um, <laughs> are South Korean. Um, so if any of them are hearing it, um, okay. nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, then. We've got Soul City News up next.